I'm Martha Maurer from the KTAR News Center. I am speaking with Dr. Kara Chris, Director of the Arizona Department of Health Services. We definitely have a lot to cover and we want to know where we are in Arizona with regards to the coronavirus. Where would you say right now our state is on the curve? Has it been flattening? Has it been going up? Has it been going down? Give us just a brief summary of where we are today. So as of today, we have 7,648 cases. Um, We've had 320 um, Arizonans die from COVID-19. And today we've processed over 71,000 tests in Arizona. If I had to predict where we were on the curve, I would say that we have been flattening the curve with our mitigation strategies, that the slope of new cases has flattened. So that's a really, really good thing. We are going to be increasing testing capacity in Arizona, so we know that as we test more, um, we will find more cases. But hopefully, as we test more, the percent of positive tests will reduce. Is there any data from the dashboards that you update every single day that shows an additional sense of promise that Arizona will perhaps continue on a flat trajectory then to a downward trajectory? So one of the the pieces of data that I I think is extremely reliable, because it's not based on COVID tests or COVID test availability, what it is based on is um, we've used it for flu for years. So that hospital COVID-like illness and influenza-like illness surveillance, that gets updated weekly on our dashboard. And that has shown a decline um, over the past several weeks of people, the percent of visits in our emergency rooms and the percent of inpatient visits that are related to COVID-like illness or influenza-like illness. So that is very promising. But on that, though, doesn't the data for flu usually go down in the summer anyway? So is, is it something more of a wishful thinking, if you will, that it correlates to that? So with the influenza-like illness, yes, we tend to see our flu season end at the end of March, beginning of April, and those visits should go down. We have added a COVID-like illness. So what it does is this, this program with the hospitals that are partnering with us, it pulls out of their data what the chief complaint is when a patient shows up and then what the doctor's diagnosis was. So it's pulling out symptoms, it's pulling out syndromes, and then saying this is how many people showed up with a fever, shortness of breath, or fever, sore throat, and symptoms that are similar. Since influenza-like illness and COVID-like illness have overlapping symptoms, um, even if one of them were to go up, which our COVID-like illness did have a significant increase several weeks ago, um, it's promising to see that go back down. In fact, you know, you mentioned these symptoms and we've learned of six new added symptoms, chills, repeated shaking, muscle pain, headaches, sore throat, and new loss of smell or taste on patients for coronavirus. How can patients tell the difference then between COVID-19 and perhaps even just allergies or the flu, especially if it's mild? And at what point should a doctor be called to be able to get tested? So what they're looking for with COVID is they're looking for a a 
cough and shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, and then two of any of those other symptoms you just named. And and really, it is very difficult because a lot of those symptoms can be consistent with a common cold, with influenza, with allergies, just like you said. What we would recommend is that if you have an underlying medical condition that puts you at risk, reach out to your healthcare provider to let them know if you're starting to develop these symptoms. We want people to seek medical attention if they have any of the emergency warning signs. So trouble breathing, um, if you have persistent pain in your chest, you've got somebody who seems confused, you can't wake them up, you have trouble to arouse them, um, or if they look like they're having difficulty breathing like blue lips or face. So that is where when we would want people to immediately seek medical attention. How much of a lag is there between the data that we're seeing each day and what's actually happening in this state? I know that, for example, during the press conference from the governor this week, you know, he mentioned that it was missing some statistics, that it takes a little bit of time to get the data in. So I'm assuming that maybe an admittance to the hospital, does, when does that show up? Is it immediate? Is it tomorrow in a week? What about if somebody passes away? How soon is that tracked and updated to the dashboard? So we normally, uh, to, to try to capture all of the data, we anticipate a four to seven day lag in the data before it's complete. Now, with each piece of data, because each is reported differently, it, it, it can depend. For instance, most of the labs are getting reported to Arizona with an average turnaround time of 1.2 days. So the labs and the positive cases, if they're coming in through electronic lab reporting, that should be pretty quick. That's getting updated on a daily basis. But we know that there's there's ones that take longer. With hospitalization, um, for it to show up in our hospitalized um, COVID positive case, that may take a little bit longer because that's going to require our county health departments to investigate that, for that to get entered in at the county level and then get reported up to the state level. But we are also getting real-time hospitalization data because of the executive order from hospitals. So that's getting updated on aggregate basis every 24 hours. So it really just depends on what data piece that you're looking at and our epidemiologists are taking all of that into account as they're looking at the day, the daily data. Dr. Christ, is there an expectation that Arizona will ever get down to zero new cases at some point, perhaps this year, or will COVID-19 be lingering in our state until a vaccine is found? I, I would anticipate that COVID-19 is going to be around for, for a while, given the fact that it is highly contagious. We have individuals that are testing positive that have no symptoms, so they don't even know that they have the disease. That makes it a little bit harder to track down and eradicate. But um, we will continue to work to protect those vulnerable individuals and to protect our health care system. We first learned of a death of the first death in Arizona. I think it was reported on March 20th. We learned that person died on March 17th. Have you received information of any deaths prior to this man? I believe his name was Trevor Bowie. He was identified at some point. But that first Arizona confirmed COVID-19 death, um, has there been any new information that perhaps others prior to him had passed away from coronavirus? 
We we have not received any specific cases um, that that occurred before that date. Now, we always just like with flu or with flu, I'll say we always go back and we start to review death records to identify deaths that may have been associated with flus, like things like pneumonia um, or it's listed in the death certificate, but it's not the cause of death. So we go back and do a review. When we do that review for covid like illness and covid like deaths, we may find things that were associated before that, but that's still a project we're working on. As a health professional, um, I'd like to get your thoughts on some of the changes that are going to be happening in the next few weeks, um, you know, as some smaller shops open and as in the future, if the aspirational date of May 12th, the governor has said for restaurants does happen. What would you like to see in these businesses to follow to, you know, be able to reach that optimal public health safety, you know, if we talk about restaurants, is it paper plates, disposable, you know, menus, masks on servers? What would you suggest could help curve the spread of COVID-19 when everyone begins to slowly go back into these businesses? Well, I think one of the most important things is going to be having the availability for hand washing or hand sanitizer, because that's one of those things that everyone can take personal responsibility for. So having that available and not making it difficult to access. Um, I think making sure that everyone is maintaining physical distancing, um, staying six feet away from others and having if if people are going to go back into the stores, limiting the number of people that can go back into places and making sure that those customers and employees are, are maintaining a six foot distance and then implementing policies like potentially offering masks to visitors, doing um, symptom screens before employees start their shift. I know that we'll be working with the Restaurant Association and Public Health um, to identify best practices that restaurants can use. But really, you know, that, that physical distancing, that staying home when you're sick and making sure that you are washing your hands and using hand sanitizers is some of the most important things everybody can do. Dr. Christ, can you clarify, uh, if we shift gears a little bit, can you clarify what are the current requirements and the protocol for places like nursing homes and long-term facilities to, first of all, report COVID-19 cases to you? So there are um, reporting requirements uh, that... uh, all types of healthcare institutions and facilities um, need to report specific diseases and then report clusters or outbreaks to the department. Um, and it varies by by disease. And so we've got a great partnership. They will report directly to their county health departments. Those county health departments will work with them, provide the technical assistance because they're really the boots on the ground experts in Arizona. They will work with those facilities and then they will report it um, to us here at the state for kind of statewide uh, cooperation and guidance. And COVID-19 is one of those diseases that has to be reported to the county and then to the state? Yes. So any novel coronavirus needs to be reported um, both by healthcare facilities, healthcare providers, and laboratories. And what is the protocol for anyone, whether it is a family member or a member of the public, to request information about the number of cases or deaths in, in that's happening inside a facility like that? So we would recommend that family members of people who have loved ones in a long-term care facility 
We know that that's a big decision. We would recommend that they work directly with the administration to identify um, what's going on. We've drafted a draft letter for our long-term care facilities to use that notifies family members, guardians, loved ones, and residents and staff um, of uh, COVID in their facility. So we would recommend, and that's one of the things that we always say, um, you know, if you're not comfortable with the administration of the long-term care facility, you know, there there are options that you can take. You can work with an ombudsman um, that is at uh, the state. You can always uh, develop or refer it to ADHS licensing or, you know, a, a, one of the big things is this is the family that your loved one is with now. This is their home. And if you're not comfortable, you know, talk and find a, a different place that could potentially be uh, more communicative. And I know that one of the questions that has come up, and I was hoping to give you a, a moment to clarify, um, you've mentioned that, you know, there are laws that prevent reporting information. You know, what what is the law that prevents you from reporting at least the numbers in long-term care facilities per facility? So it's really, it's not so much, we are looking at what type of numbers by facility type we can release. And so we're hoping potentially to add that to our dashboard so that that's a, that's a feature moving forward. I just don't know where the team is on that. There are laws that prevent us from releasing identifying information about individuals. The, these are state laws and state administrative code that um, require us to de-identify, including any geographic location that's smaller than the state level. Um, and so that is, that's what we're working under. Um, and, and there is state statute and state administrative code. Have you had conversations perhaps with, for example, AARP of Arizona? In fact, t- today um, they sent us over a letter that they had sent to the governor last uh, earlier this week or last week, I believe, um, asking them to take a look at releasing this information. And, and they cite HIPAA law that actually would allow it. Have you had conversations with groups like that? And, and what do you say to them? Um, I know that they had written a letter to us. Um, we still, you know, we are very careful to make sure that we are protecting individuals' uh, personal health information um, as required by state law. So normally what we'll do is we'll, we'll reply with the state law, and then, but we will try to work with the facilities for them to release that information. How much do you know about remdesivir? You know, we've heard of this as a potential cure. This drug is being tested and has had some um, good results. Do you know of any facilities using it here in Arizona or any other treatments in our state that have shown promise that you're aware of? No, I don't know of any facilities that are participating in that clinical trial. Um, I, I have heard that there there are uh, preliminary results that look promising, Um but I'm not aware of, of anybody that's using it in Arizona, but that wouldn't be reportable to the department for us. I see. Now, Arizona's already been under a stay-at-home order and social distancing guidelines for, gosh, you know, between the two approximately six weeks or so. Um, why do you believe we're still seeing a rise in cases if more people are staying home? So we expect to, we know that this is in the community. It's highly contagious and not everyone from the community, especially our essential workers, um, 
are staying home out of the community. And so we know that there will continue to be spread. Our numbers are cumulative, so we don't pull people out after they recover. It just continuously adds. So we expect those case numbers to go up. What we are hoping to see is a slowing of the percent of lab, the percent of tests that are positive and a slowing of uh, the utilization of health care resources. And so this weekend is the first weekend of this testing blitz. How does it work? Who can be tested? Um, and what about this testing criteria? Because I know it's recently been expanded to allow anyone who believe that they have been exposed or believe who has it. How is this all going to work? So we are uh, working with our healthcare partners around the states to offer multiple sites to provide testing um, from multiple providers. So we have a goal of trying to reach 10,000 um, tests on, on that day. Um, we are listing, so each of those sites are going to have their own criteria and their own like insurance that they're going to take and those types of things. So if there's one near your house, we would recommend checking it out on, if they provided a website on our website. You can find out where those sites are at azdhs.gov slash testing blitz. Um, they continue to be updated, so I know that we're still talking to additional sites to get them added. Um, so you can go, you can check, some will require pre-registration, and then you follow the directions on that. That will be available for the next three weeks um, on the weekends um, for people who wish to be tested. We did expand the state's uh, standing order that allows anybody who feels that they've been exposed to and infected with COVID-19 is now eligible for a test. You don't need to have symptoms um, to attend all the sites. Some sites might require symptoms because they're operating under a different standing order, but the sites will be able to clarify who they're accepting. Governor Ducey continues to say he's listening to you. He's listening to the, the doctors at the state health department and looking at the data in particular to decide on next steps. Can you talk about the input that you gave him uh, to extend in order to extend this stay at home order and to allow some small retail to begin reopening? And then what data or what you know input would you need to give in order for uh, restaurants, for example, the next big step or the rest of Arizona to reopen? As we, as we look at the data, we, we saw some encouraging trends with our hospital visits, our hospital capacity. Um, we are increasing testing. And so one of the, one of the first steps is reopening small retail business that sell goods. So, um, at this time, it, it's not those that are providing services. And that's because Arizonans have done such a good job being responsible. And we've seen that in the bigger retail stores, such as the Walmarts and the Targets, people have done a very good job. What we will be doing then is monitoring the data to see how this new, um, how this gradual change impacts our data. If we see an increase, we may recommend to hold back on opening up additional things. But hopefully what we'll see is the the same, either the same trends or even a decrease in trends. But we, we were optimistic that Arizonans had done so well getting uh, the goods for their essential services that we felt we could open up um, another piece of that.
so for the next couple of weeks, so in two weeks, for example, what will be the data that you hope to have in order to um, help the governor make that next decision? So I'm hoping we'll still see the downward trajectory on ED visits and inpatient visits in our syndromic surveillance for COVID-like and influenza-like illness. Um, we would want to see that we were staying steady or decreasing on our um labs that come back positive, but we're also going to want to see an increase in tests. So as we increase tests, we know we're going to increase the number of cases. So that's going to not play as importantly as a lot of that other data, because we will want to watch our hospital capacity. We will want to make sure that we have hospital beds, ICU beds, ventilators. Um, and so we're going to be taking into account all of those pieces of data and looking at what um, the entire picture looks like. Is there anything else that you wanted to mention that I didn't ask or anything else you wanted to add? Well, maybe just to reiterate, you know, the important steps that every Arizonan can take. You know, the stay-at-home order is still in place. Um, we need to protect our vulnerable um, individuals in Arizonans that have a higher risk for complication and death from COVID-19. So when you go out, make sure that you're washing your hands frequently. You are using hand sanitizer. You're covering your cough. You're staying home if you are sick. And um, and then, but checking on those that, that may need assistance. That was our conversation with Dr. Kara Chris, Director of the Arizona Department of Health Services. For continuous coverage on coronavirus in Arizona, tune to 92.3 FM, the KTAR app, and go to ktar.com slash coronavirus. I'm Martha Maurer from the KTAR News Center.